following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. They took the extra plates and they made an extra setting. Extra forks, a butter knife, a spoon, a napkin, all properly placed, even though it wouldn't be used. And then they took a chair and pulled it up to this extra place setting, even though that chair would remain empty. I read a story this last week how several people, especially on a weekend like this weekend, will do such a thing when it comes to their dinner time. Purposely setting up an extra yet empty chair and place setting so that they can remember, well, they can remember what? Well, maybe a few things. They can remember maybe a specific individual from their family, somebody who is now no more with them because they gave the ultimate sacrifice by laying down their life so that you and I can live the lives that we live. To remember a specific someone, a a, a loved one, a, a brother, a son, a daughter who having given that sacrifice, is supposed to be at that place, but, but they aren't anymore. But maybe even, even more than that is to remember how important it is that although they are gone, we still can have that remembrance of those people who do live on in some ways. I think it's valuable whether you do such a practice or not. And we do that in various ways as well. We do that especially when it comes to the ways that we grieve loved ones. It doesn't have to be on a weekend such as this one, but we remember people, whether it's pictures or it's an anniversary or a celebration. We have mementos. We have things that we might even call memorabilia that reminds us of those loved ones who are no longer with us. But that's not just something that we do when it comes to the grieving process. When it comes to those loved ones that are no longer physically here, we do that with just about everything in life. I mean, think of it. There's, there's coworkers, and there's a special coworker who's just excellent. And not only that, they're a friend. And for every good reason, they go and take another job, but they leave behind little traces, maybe a picture, maybe certain aspects of their job. And every time you come across those things, that former coworker, you are, you are reminded of them, even though there's an emptiness that remains. It can even be part of your own life. Maybe it's a home that used to be your childhood home, a a city you used to live in, a vacation spot. Some of you, your summer plans might all be cemented. It might even be that family favorite. But when you leave that place behind, or maybe there is a distant place from your childhood you can no longer visit anymore, you still remember it fondly, in fact. But whether you're remembering a place, a space, a person, a relationship, any of those things that aren't the way that they were, almost inevitably there remains inside your head and your heart this emptiness. A a space in your heart and in your head that, that still kind of remains to be filled and might not ever be the way that it used to be. And none other than God understands that very well. For the same God who made you to exist the way that you do knows that that seat, that place setting that's empty, that same kind of thing exists in your heart. And the world is full of promises and full of ideas as to how you're going to fill all of those empty spaces inside your heart. There's just one problem. As big and as broad as the world is and with all of those boastful promises, it can never, it is not made to fill every aspect of your soul like only God can. And so your Savior invites you today 
that although he in, has ascended physically into heaven, he did not ascend, as we heard last week, he did not ascend to get farther away. No, he aims to fill every aspect of your heart like nothing and no one ever possibly could. And that's what this day is all about. But I describe it in those terms because I wonder if we understand how fully those empty, uh, excuse me, how empty those places are and if we can fully grasp what those empty spots look like in our heads and in our hearts. But if we think about it that way, then Jesus will not disappoint as he only aims to fill it today. So I invite you to have that gospel reading open from John chapter seven, those few verses that Vicar read earlier. And as you do, you and I are going to see that the Holy Spirit will leave us not empty. We're going to see that there is some huge historical context, some eternal consequence. We'll learn what the Holy Spirit is in all of this and especially how he aims to fill us every day on the path that leads us to our heavenly home. So what is going on here? First of all, consider what this day is and how it, uh, it stands in context with Jesus' final days on earth. During that Passover festival, remember he sent the, the disciples to go to that upper room to prepare that Passover meal? So during Holy Week, they celebrated the Passover, and it was on that night in that upper room, that Thursday, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, where he would be for them and for all the ultimate Passover lamb to lay down his life to give us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. And that night, he was captured, and the very next day, Good Friday, he was crucified as the sacrifice for all, and then on the third day, he rose again. And from that Easter Sunday, there dawned a new eternal reality as death was defeated and life forever was now going to be our existence. And over a period of 40 days, he made convincing proofs by appearing to several people. Over 500, in fact, the writer to the Corinthians tells us. St. Paul says in chapter 15. But after appearing to over 500 people, then what? He ascends into heaven, but he promises to send the Holy Spirit. And now on this festival, 50 days after the Passover, Pentecost, that happens. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2. God sends the counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would not only inform our brains, but would convict and convince hearts to believe everything that Jesus is for us, the Savior promised from long ago. The Holy Spirit comes to leave us not empty. Hold that. Rewind all the way back to about 1500 BC. God's people are captive in Egypt. And God appears to Moses through that burning bush. And although the fire is raging, the bush is not consumed. And Moses is only able to approach in a certain way on this holy ground. Take your sandals off. And God commissions Moses and sends him to the most powerful man in the world in order to free his people. And ten plagues later, they celebrate that Passover meal. And then what happens? Get out of here, Pharaoh says. And Moses leads the people to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends his army and his chariots. And what does God do? He opens up the ocean. And so his people pass on dry ground. And then as Pharaoh's army decides to come after, God causes the waters to crash, to squelch everything that is death and to drown everything that is a threat against his people. And he brings them one step closer to that promised land. Are you seeing those Old Testament contexts bringing about this picture of our saving history in Jesus? And then from there, they hang a right, and they head down to the Sinai Peninsula. And there is this mountain, Mount Sinai, and there God would appear to his people like he would never, ever again appear to them. The mountain is shaking and quaking. And what happens? Fire, lightning, 
earthquakes. And God comes to his people to give them his word. His Old Testament church, Israel, he gives them his word and his promise and he sends them on their way though they would wander in the desert. Intense, trusting only in the provisions that God would give. There was even a time when they started to grumble against Moses. You brought us out here to, to die of thirst and hunger? We had it better in slavery in Egypt. And God, in Exodus chapter 17, tells Moses to go to this rock, and he brings the elders, and Moses brings the staff, the staff that he used to strike the water when the sea divided. So you think like a staff. This is like a, an instrument of punishment. All these elders are about to get the, the whooping of a lifetime. No. This is not the spanking paddle. Instead, it's, God says that he would go ahead and he goes over on the rock and Moses strikes the rock and water comes out of nowhere. In the desert? In the desert? A constant welling up of a stream of water to make sure that these people would live? Water that streams forward? How can this be? God doesn't leave his people empty and dying of thirst. So Jesus' final days, that whole festival that they were celebrating, do you know what's going on? In order to help you understand, let's take what we learned about those final days when Jesus ascended and Pentecost happened and those Old Testament days and go right to this middle period, not exact middle, but in between time in the context of John chapter seven. Are you with me? It was the last day of this festival. What was this festival? When Pentecost happened, it was this festival of called, called Tabernacles where a number of these Israelites would actually go and live out in a tent. Some of you are thinking, the only camping I like to do is in a hotel where the window faces woods. That's my kind of camping. Come, come on now. They would actually live in tents. Why? To remind themselves of how God brought their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt to live in the wilderness to bring them one step closer day after day just as he promised to the promised land, a symbol of the eternal promised land that would be provided through the Messiah to come in that promised land for all people for all time. So they would celebrate. But you know what else would happen? A priest would go to the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem and where this water was welling up in the day of Jesus, he would go every single day and he would lead this procession and he would fill up this pitcher and then go over to the altar and pour out this water. And on the way, they would say these words from Isaiah chapter 12. Thou shalt draw waters with rejoicing from the springs of salvation. These words from one of those ancient songs from Isaiah is God is not only promising pending punishment, but the promised Savior who's going to come and give them more than just water out of a rock in the wilderness, who's going to give them more than just water as a symbol or a picture of God who kind of makes them feel a little bit better and helps them maintain this sense of stability and security. No, a God who's going to give them something far greater who's going to be eternal water quenching the thirst of their soul. And on that last day, can you imagine... Day after day, all week long, Jesus is there and he's watching people. And John chapter 7 comes right after the, the previous chapter where Jesus, the bread of life discourse happens. All of these people, he feeds all of these thousands of people from a boy's lunch. Remember that? The feeding of the 5,000 families? And what do the people want to do? They want to make him their bread king. Free him from Roman oppression 
And Jesus says, you want bread? You want real sustenance, something that's actually going to satisfy more than your stomach, but your soul. And then he says what? I'll be your king. Nope. Jesus for president. Nope. I am the bread of life. You want sustenance for your soul that gives you eternal status and freedom with God and forgiveness? A place in the kingdom where you will never be harmed, much less even hurt? I'm the bread of life. And what did all the people do? They left in droves. Think of it. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands walk out. That's worse than attending a concert and the sound doesn't work. All of a sudden, the Super Bowl happens and you're in attendance and one of the teams doesn't show up. And there's only 12 left. Jesus, in that context, with that just in the backdrop, stands up after all of this water and all of this symbolism and all of this remembrance of what was empty in the past and God is fulfilling. He stands up and what does he say? Whoever believes in me, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And all of those thousands came back to follow and believe in Jesus. Nope, that's not what happened. Why? Look around you. We can get drenched on a day like today and see how God waters the earth. And although it's a weekend where you maybe hope for a little bit more sunshine, we can thank God for all the blessings that he gives by sending rain to water and to give the world and our lives what we need. But you know that there's gonna come a day when we're gonna need more rain, and is that not a picture of everything that we see in life? I mean, how is it that there can be people who jam-pack their lives with so much busyness, thinking that if they just do more, accomplish more, even project that upon their children, then our lives will have more meaning and we'll find this sense of fulfillment, right? Hmm. The beat goes on. If only our children, if we can put them in the right programs and the right sports and the right activities and help them to do more and be more, then also that'll look good on us parents. And not to say any of these things are bad things, they're good things, but when we look to these things to give us a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction, what's really missing is that even the good things in this life we can look to to quench the real thirsting need that we have in our soul. It can happen at work. Work is a good thing. God gave you all that you have in order to pursue it, but if at the end of the day you think by reaching that next precipice in your career is really going to do it for you, look at the track record of, wait for it, all of humanity that has never experienced that satisfaction. All of the world tells you that in order for you to reach that next status, with those people who will look to you with respect if you have this kind of house and drive this kind of car and live in this kind of neighborhood. And then if you only do that, then you'll be among those people who will respect you. And yet, what does it take? It takes one glance at somebody who's a level up. It takes one glance at one of those people who are now your peers and they don't really respect you. And then what? And then what? Empty. It can even happen in your heart and in the people you look to. It is a godly thing, in fact, a provision of our Heavenly Father to give you people, a spouse, a loved one, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, family, children, parents, so that you would find relational 
peace and satisfaction in them. But if you trust and you lean upon those people to be for you what only your God can be for you, you will do one of two things, if not both. You will crush them with your expectations of them, and you will only be left disappointed or feeling empty. When you look for people, relationships, success, job, respect, your child's achievements to be for you what your soul needs, you'll still be left empty. That's why Jesus doesn't say, here are five helpful steps for you to feel more satisfied and to have your soul quenched, the the thirst of your soul quenched in life. He makes it very clear, so clear, it flies in the face of everything in this world. Let everyone who is thirsty, what does he say? Go to him. You can look at your schedule and fill your life with all sorts of good things, not to mention all sorts of bad things. But fill your life even with good things. And what does that leave for you in the end? Most of not all of you know Sheila Matting. She was just here last week. The first Sunday that she visited last summer, the gospel reading that we focused and meditated upon was about Mary and Martha. You know the account of Mary and Martha? Martha was doing good things. She was trying to be a hostess with the mostess for Jesus. That's not bad. And yet Mary is sitting there at Jesus' feet and what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you want all these things, but there's only one thing. And you know what Sheila told me and several others who went through foundations with her because she kept on going through foundations class after foundations class after foundations class and she was just gonna hop in the one this last Thursday, but God's like, nope, I got a better Bible class for you. You're coming to heaven. And his greatest foundations is I can't compete with heaven. Do you know what Sheila said? I was Martha, and God had to break me before I finally realized that my greatest rest is found in him. She used to be 5'11", did you know that? She had like size 10 feet. Did you notice that? She said she always tried to hide him because she didn't want people to think she had clown feet. But God had to physically break her, and she was in so much pain, but she would never let on. Because she was that Martha, always pursuing, always pushing, always working, and guess what she never found? She never found that rest. She never found that one thing that can quench what your heart is really after. And that's exactly what God gives you in nothing else except for his son, who, on this day we celebrate, sends the Holy Spirit. Think of it. It is the Holy Spirit who brought you into God's family where you now have a status where he brings you into his family so you belong in the promised land of heaven. And now that you're in the promised land of heaven, there's nothing in all the world that's more important than the status that he put upon you since you are now his child. So you were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and now you belong to him and he belongs to you and he even lives inside of you by his spirit so that no matter what anyone says and no matter what this world promises, it can never top that. And so we sing things and we say things like, God's own child, I gladly say it. I've been baptized into Christ. We're clothed with him and now the Holy Spirit is dwelling up inside of us to face a world full of lies because we know that on account of the spirit, we belong to God and he to us. 
I mean, it happens. Even, even when you open God's word, we can talk about being spiritually, have a spiritual feeling, but all the feelings in the world, be they even positive, cannot compete with what one chapter in God's word can do. Because God doesn't promise to work through feelings. He does, however, promise to work through the facts of his word. So whether you feel it or not, whether it's happy or sad, you open up to God's word and the spirit keeps his promise to strengthen your heart. And nothing in the world can change that or take it away. You come forward when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and what do you get? The Holy Spirit, through the power of the word, connects the entrance of heaven paid for by Christ's body and blood, takes that and connects it in a miraculous way to bread and wine so you get exactly what God promises by the power of his word. The Holy Spirit still comes to give you exactly what God always promised. Empty no more. A satisfaction for your soul. This welling up inside of you, not just for time, but for all eternity. That's not only what the Holy Spirit is, you also know how he functions. So think back to that story I told you of some people I read a couple years ago. I couldn't find the account. But I read a few years ago a news story that was talking about the empty place setting over Memorial Day weekend. And a family was remembering someone specifically and then when interviewed about this as the news story was, was sharing this with everybody, putting it in the news station on TV and on, in, on their blog and on, on their website and the newspaper, they said something pretty profound that's easy to skip over. They said, it might seem like it's just an empty space and that it's only sad, but we tell some of the greatest stories and we laugh the hardest. So what they're thinking about is not just the sadness, but the profound joy and meaning that a life like that leaves for them. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he doesn't just leave you with some stories and hopefully some positive feelings, maybe. No guarantees. He promises to come and live inside of you, all of you, each and every single one of you by the power of his spirit. So you would never be left with any amount of emptiness. In fact, you'd see the world for what it is. It only provides and promises, well, promises, but only leaves you feeling empty, but not Jesus. For when you go to him with the yearnings of your soul, you go to him for the thing you're really looking for in all of your life, the status, the affirmation, the validation, and the security that cannot be taken away, you will never, ever be left thirsty. For the one who promised is faithful, and he sends his spirit to leave you never, never empty. Amen.